Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome listeners just joining us across the country through the miracle of Internet's Radio. You missed a great meal that we always share from 5 to 5.30 p.m. here in Newark, Delaware. And if you're anywhere in the tri-state area, you're welcome to come join us. Um, we, uh, we'll be excited to have you. Just hit our website at The Ninja Pastor, www.theninjapastor.com, or uh, check us out on facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. And then click on sign up, and you'll get all the information on it. If you're in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, um, or New Jersey uh, area, and we've actually had people here come from all the way outside of D.C., so you're welcome to join us. What we're doing here is we're blazing a trail of both old and new styles of study and worship of Adonai Elohim and his son Yeshua Hamashiach. And I'll just tell you now, we are purposely and decidedly politically incorrect. We cut straight to the point. We are decidedly and unmistakably pro-Israel, and we make no apology for being pro-Israel and pro-America. There was a time where if you were pro-America, that also meant you were pro-Israel. But we understand from at least 60 uh, of our paid servants in Washington, D.C., that they didn't feel though as though it was their job or, or their mandate to do their job and to show up and work when Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, he showed up, and he did his job better than our president ever has. I'm also a proud member of the Black Robe Regiment. You know, people have asked me. I got around 11,000 emails after last week's broadcast, people wanting to know, what is this Black Robe Regiment that you're talking about? And I said, well, what that is, is in the old days, the preachers used to wear, the parson used to wear a black robe, and then there was Nick's. In Lexington, the shot heard around the world, you know, uh, if you know your history, there were nicks in that church all along the right row and the left row on the outer wall. And those nicks were from the muskets leaning against the wall. And there was a nick also up on the raised pulpit on the little area behind that. And that was the preacher's musket. And he led, we are the Black Robe Regiment. The problem, a lot of the problem in America, and I know the group that's here today and the group, uh, there's a regular group that listens every week. You all have heard me say it, uh, must be 100,000 times by now, that I believe the fault of why 
this country is in the place that it's in is because pastors became punks and they became pulpit pimps were worried about money than they were worried about preaching the gospel and the truth. There can never be an unlinking of governance and leadership from the pulpit. The churches absolutely must be involved. You say, well, there's separation of church and state. That's not true. It's not in any of our founding documents. It was in a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association when they wrote him a letter and they said, Mr. Jefferson, we don't want anybody telling us that we have to become Church of England or that we have to change from being Baptist to being Lutheran or Episcopalian or whatever the case may be. We don't want to be told what we have to do. We don't want a national religion. And he said, you, there will always be a separation of church and state so that the church would always be protected from the state. The Second Amendment is so important because what does that do? It is our right to keep and bear arms. And that that gives us the power to protect ourselves from a government out of control. Hey, you may notice that to the extent possible we use, uh, and everyone here, you're missing out if you're not here, let me just say that, um, we have chicken meatballs, homemade applesauce, uh, homemade casserole. I mean, it's just awesome. What is that? Where's Cobbler? How are you not going to give me Cobbler? Oh, okay. Well, let's just make sure. Scoot on up there and get me some Cobbler. Um, hello? Uh, you might notice that to the extent possible we use the appropriate and accurate Hebrew words for the characters and places in Scripture. Uh, remember, I just want you to understand and remember that these are predominantly Hebrew people teaching us through their shared struggle and experiences of faith. Hebrew people are the origin of our faith. Yeshua is the name in Hebrew for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord is salvation. The English spelling of Yeshua is Joshua. However, when translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus. Hence the English spelling for Iesus is Jesus. That's how we got the name. I prefer to call him by his real name, his actual name. It's kind of like the game of telephone played over a course of 2,000 years. I choose to cut out the middleman, cut the string, and the thousands of years and just call him by his original and actual name, Yeshua. I am not offended at all if people call him Jesus. Uh... You know, I will frequently refer to God in his appropriate name for the circumstance, Adonai Elohim, uh, El Shaddai, all these, all these different names that we have for God, different ones apply in different areas. It's still the same person. It's still the same entity. But I try to, as much as possible, use the proper one for that. So I hope you're not offended by that. And if you are, there's plenty of other things to listen to on the radio, on Block Talk Radio. While you have a chance, I mentioned this earlier, and people said to, can you please repeat it? Uh, while you have the chance, click on uh, follow and subscribe here on the uh, Blog Talk Radio site so that we can know, uh, you know, we can let you know. You'll get a direct notification anytime uh, anything's happening. If I'm speaking somewhere in your town, uh, you know, that'll be wonderful. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for coming. Welcome, Deborah. Um, you know, and and so what you do is you subscribe here at Blog Talk Radio backslash The Ninja Pastor, and if you use Twitter and Facebook, you follow us at The Ninja Pastor. On Facebook, all you would do is click on Sign Up. Uh, my buddy Sean, uh, 
has set all that up, and you just click on sign up, and that'll take you to the right place. You click on sign up at facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. You can check out uh, free messages and past shows there on the, the Ninja Pastor page on Blog Talk Radio. And then there's other messages, literally hundreds of hours of messages at theninjapastor.com. And remember, the chat room is open uh, for your pleasure. I may or may not be able to type something out really quick while I'm talking. Uh, but also, I, I wanted to really quick uh, remember in prayer those among us who are sick and infirmed. Uh, there's there's a lot of people out. You know, this flu this year has been brutal. Um, it's been a wicked, wicked flu. Uh, there's a lot of other things going around, the lingering cold that just won't seem to go away. Um, you know, just a lot of people sick. Um, there's been several surgeries and, and all of that. Um, I've got two friends, uh, one just recovering from surgery from cancer, uh, very successful, even even better than we could have ever anticipated. It, there's fried chicken. How are you not going to give me fried chicken? I do not understand. If there's a drumstick of fried chicken, that's just a given. I mean, Yachtbird, everybody needs some Yachtbird. Somebody was telling me this week they're, they're, uh, they're thank you very much. They're, uh, I just need one. I only need, I only eat one. I only eat one. I'm eating light. I got to lose 35, 40 pounds. So just one, just one. That's perfect. Thank you. See how this is? Internet people, if you were here, you could be this, but you're not, so you're not. Anyway, so there, uh, my one buddy, uh, he's one of the best friends I've ever had in the world. Uh, he is at home uh, recovering uh, from cancer surgery, and he did great. He did better than ever we could have ever expected. And, uh, in fact, uh, the surgeon said it was like there was a light coming from him, and I know why. Uh, and then uh, my other friend downstate, he is battling multiple myeloma. Uh, his second time around with it, and a uh, good buddy. I gr- literally grew up with him. I was little. I was a little guy, and uh, we've been together all these years, and he is a great guy. I love him to death, and uh, so if he's listening, I'm still praying for him. I'll come down and see you probably this week, and uh, a lot of people battling things, a lot of people struggling with things. Um, I do want to publicly thank Darren and Karen. They're some of the people that attend our Kehala. I haven't done this publicly before. They're very quiet and reserved about what they do, but they uh, are eBay. eBay? Is it eBay? eBay and auction sites and all that stuff, people, they're, they're just the sharpest people on that stuff. They're deal finders, and they found professional studio acoustic panels, eight acoustic panels on eBay for super cheap, super cheap. They bought all eight of them, called me up and said, hey, can you use acoustic panels for your studio? And I was like, uh, yeah, but professional acoustic panels are thousands of dollars. And they found them, what was it, $100 for all eight? Eight foot long, uh, four or five feet wide. And so, and they even delivered them for us. Uh, no, we'll put them somewhere. But uh, but once we're ready to do an actual full-on studio uh, for our Monday show. But anyway, I just want to publicly thank them for doing that. That was an absolutely wonderful thing. We can't wait to put them up. Once we put those up, uh, that will vastly improve our studio sound for our Monday show. But this is Sunday show. So remember last week, how many of you were able to listen in last week? Awesome. Thank you for doing that. A um, lot of feedback on last week's, uh, last week's message. A lot of feedback. 
One, they said, why do you talk so fast? I must have got 150 people talking. There were, just so you know the statistics on it, there were 497 people listening live. Now, isn't that funny? 497 people listening live, and there's been a, a gazillion more uh, downloads since then, which is just, that's, I love that. That's so touching to me. That means the world to me. Um, but one of the other things they said is, okay, that didn't seem like you were actually finishing 1 Corinthians, but I assure you, I was finishing 1 Corinthians. Those of you who were here and heard that, did you feel like we can put 1 Corinthians away for now? Now, we're going to we're going to reach back a little bit, and this is what this is really going to be. Is this is going to be an introduction to Second Corinthians? Then next week, if we meet next week, one way or other, there will be a recording. Whether we meet live here, uh, we've got some uh, things that we need to do uh, over the course of the weekend. We we may or may not be live here in Newark, Delaware, but we we'll, we will be live on the internet. One way or another, there'll be a, a message next week. But all that said. This, that there's some questions at the start of those of you who've listened, listened to every single message, you know that I ask a bunch of questions at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. When we started 1 Corinthians, I asked a bunch of questions. And I said, we're going to answer those questions. And we did. I looked back over it and I said, wow, we really did. And then we made up some questions along the way because, you know, we want to give you your money's worth, give you extra questions, and you get extra credit. All of you in the room get extra credit for answering those. Gold star, you're a winner. Uh, provide a brief overview of the date and reason for the writing of this second letter. That seems like a simple enough question. What is the nature of church leadership according to chapter 1, 12 through 24? Where does the church leader's confidence come from according to chapter 3? People in the chat room, welcome. I'm not I'm not ready to type in hello but if you can hear me I'm I'm saying welcome with words. Um so what does the church leader's confidence come from according to chapter 3? What argument can be made for the idea that chapter 3 7 through 11 teaches that the Mosaic law has been abolished? Ooh. What problems are there with this argument? Lots. Summarize the ministry of reconciliation in a paragraph, one paragraph. I already have that written. I can't wait to preach that one because basically I'm going to make a sermon out of that one paragraph. What does willingness and fair-mindedness have to do with giving? Here's a hint. We'll be talking about that in Chapter 8. What principles should govern the church in its method of giving? By the way, welcome Philly Bob, and I see you just uh, logged on. Philly Bob and, and your whole family, Patriot family. Uh, what principles should govern the church and its method of giving? Well, there's a touchy subject, isn't it? Seems like we talk about that a lot in the Bible, don't we? Every now and then we bump up against something about uh, our commitment to the church, our commitment to uh, the furtherance of the gospel, our commitment to a lot of different things. You know, I, one of my favorite sayings is, is, church is free, but it ain't cheap. You know, church is free. It's free to come, and it's you know nobody's ever expected to give anything, but it isn't cheap. I mean, it has to happen. Um, so we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit. There's going to be a little bit of a we we will it'll it'll be interesting. That that part will be interesting because he he approaches it differently in this in this Corinthians, the second Corinthians, than he does in others. Then we're going to talk about Paul's visionary experience in chapter twelve. 
Then we're going to say, we're going to answer these questions. In what ways did antinomianism, crazy word, people are out there on the Internet right now going, now how do you spell that? I'm going to click that in and do the wiki wiki on that thing. Uh, antinomianism influenced the Corinthian church. First Corinthians can actually be divided into two main parts, chapter 1 through 11 and chapter 12 through 15. We're going to explain the difference between the two divisions. Most of you probably already know what the difference is, because really, if you read it all at once, you notice a change. Something happens there. It's very important to know. Uh, I'm a huge fan of context, cultural context. Part of that cultural context is the language, the different languages at play, the different sensitivities. You know, Shaul or Paul knew that there were Gentiles in the audience that didn't observe Shabbat or Sabbath and were kind of new to this whole thing. And he also knew there were hardcore Jews in the audience who were observant, just as he was. How did he bridge them? How did he address those two? That's going to be fun to see. And we'll talk about the main theme of each. What was the primary purpose of the writing of the Second Corinthian letter? Listen, if you don't know why he wrote it, what's the point? Right? What's the point? Do you ever read a book and, and you ever wonder, how many of you here have read a book that stuck with you your whole life? My daughter and I talk about it. Thank you. My daughter and I talk about it all the time. We are both avid readers. One of the things about my crash that really upset me, uh, worried me to death, a miracle just walked into the room. You guys know that's a miracle just walked into the room? Right there? Miracle. You're looking at a miracle. Um See, if you were here, radio audience, you could see a miracle. You say, I just want God to show me a miracle. I just showed these people in this room a miracle, and you missed it because you weren't here. You missed the fried chicken. You missed the miracle and the cobbler. But I see nobody has made a move. Nobody has made a move for the cobbler, even though I'm on a diet. Just a tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. You know the preacher wants to have a little tiny, very small, very, very small. Just a taste. That's all I want. I made a mistake. See, the people downstate, some of my dearest friends, they know that I'm trying, very, very small, uh, that I'm trying to lose between 35 and 40 pounds uh, just to help, you know, my blood pressure as best I can and do the, give myself, you know, a better shot at living. And uh, and so I'm on this diet called the Elimination Diet, Dr. Myers, an MD and an immunologist. And so I read this book. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's about time somebody showed me some love up in here. Uh, but uh, so this book is a phenomenal book, and I'm I'm really enjoying reading it. But now, if that person is listening to the podcast, I am totally and completely dimed out. And the sad part of it is, I dimed myself out. I could have made this is radio. You can't see me. I could have made gestures. I could have walked up to it and scooped it out and bought it, but I didn't because I just want to be open and honest, you know. But it is a literally tiny sliver. It's not really a tiny sliver, but it's it's a tiny amount. Compared to what I would eat before, good lands. Although, let's be honest, ice cream, apple cobbler and ice cream, anybody? Oh, yeah. little French vanilla ice cream. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Mm-mm-mm. Thank the Lord for good food, you know? So we're going to talk about what the primary purpose of writing the, the, the second Corinthian letter Look, there was a difference. There was a difference between what was going on in 1 Corinthians and what's going on in 2 Corinthians. 
And you're going to see, I'm going to read. Tonight's really going to be both, you know how I just read right through stuff and I never comment as I'm reading it. Well, I'm going to do that again tonight. Uh, so basically, blank stares. People are like, you never do that. And what are you talking about? So, <laughs> so yeah, so I'm going to try to do the best I can to read as much as I can. Um, we've got somebody from Belgium just signed in on chat. How cool is that? That's just the neatest thing. Um, okay, so uh, what was the primary purpose? Look, have you ever I, – I asked this question and I was chasing a rabbit through a backyard. Uh, have you ever read a book that just stuck with you? It just was so profound. It just You just couldn't shake it, the experience of this book. My daughter and I talk about that a lot. We're both just avid readers, and because of my crash, I couldn't read after my crash. Couldn't see well enough to read. Everything was moving around due to the brain injury. Uh, it was just it was just terrible, and I was terrified. I wasn't terrified of anything else, but what am I going to do? And there, person in the room who can verify this, I was absolutely terrified that I couldn't read. And so one of the things that my family did was, and somebody listening tonight, I happen to know, are listening, came to my house and read for me books. Now, of course, we made her read books that were really crazy and twisted up her mind, but she read them to me until I fell asleep, and then if she thought I was asleep, she would stop reading. Of course, that would wake me up, and I'd say, oh, I'm awake. Like, remember, if your dad was ever asleep in the chair, and he was watching a show, and you knew the clicker, of course, back in the day, you know, I grew up, there was no clicker, so you would sneak up to the TV, and you'd turn the switch, right? you turn the switch, and he'd be like, hey, I'm watching that. Well, he's been two hours and snoring beat the band but but uh my my daughter and i talk about this a lot about books that stick with us that we just can't shake just it's just profound uh there's a book that i have uh i had the privilege of doing uh just me and tom clancy you guys know who tom clancy is he's passed away now but uh world famous you know multiple times bestseller every book he ever wrote was a bestseller uh many movies some of the best movies have been made from his books. Well, I met him one time riding my motorcycle. This was years ago, riding my motorcycle across the country, and I was by myself, and I was writing a, a doctoral thesis, a Ph.D. doctoral thesis, and so I was just traveling across the country doing my thing, and I bumped into this guy on a uh, BMW, an older BMW, and that's what I rode was a BMW motorcycle. And so this guy introduced himself. Well, I'm Tom. Well, how you doing, Tom? And uh, where are you headed? And I said, well, I'm headed here. He goes, oh, me too. I wasn't one to ride with people. I'm not a fan of riding with people. That's just not my thing because I don't ride a motorcycle anymore. But um, but this guy, there was something about this guy. And he introduced himself, and he said his name was Tom Clancy. And uh, and But it just didn't register with me because he was just a regular dude. And uh, And so we spent four days riding together, sharing hotel rooms and everything i mean just talking and going to breakfast and uh he was a big believer in sausage gravy as was i at the time he he would be so excited and i just remembered this the other day he would be so excited when we would go to a breakfast place and they would have sausage gravy he'd be like oh they have biscuits and gravy and he would that would be the feature of his of his breakfast and that's where i learned sausage gravy can literally be poured over your whole breakfast and it's okay 
that's where I picked that up. Yeah, really good, right? So, um, so it wasn't until we were parting ways that he shook my hand and gave me this man hug because uh, he wasn't a real big guy, but he gave me this man hug, and he said, "Well, I hope you'll stay in touch." And I said, "Well, you know, back then there wasn't. I didn't. The cell phone wasn't as big of a deal." And uh, he handed me a little card, and and I I looked, and it just said Tom Clancy, writer. And I go, "That's funny. You have the same name as." And then I stopped. And he said, "Well, is there a problem?" I said, "Yeah. Are you the Tom Clancy?" And he said. Well, if you're referring to the one that has written books and has had movies made, yeah, I'm that guy. I said, oh, man. And I said, would you please redo some of all fears so I can finish that stinking book? That's one book I've never finished. I finish all books I start. Never finish some of all fears. I get to a certain point, and I just, it's in me. It's all in me. And then I get to a point, and I freeze up, and I can't read anymore. I have to work myself up to read more. But that's how his books were. But what I'm getting at is another book for me like that is the Bible. Frankly, I can't put it down. But the Bible is actually a treasury of 66 books in a library. It's not one book. It's 66 books spanning so many years and so many authors from all kinds of different walks of earth, walks of life. And it's amazing. It's so contiguous. It's so interwoven. It's so beautifully done. And I like, uh, you know, people always send me messages. Every week uh, I get, in fact, on Monday's show, we do a show on Monday at 4, uh, 4 to 5, and then another from 5.30 to 6.30, and we'll be expanding that one. Uh, but uh, every Monday. And, and one of the biggest questions I get is whenever I mention the Bible, I can almost predict it now. People will pop up with the question of, what translation of the Bible do you read? And I always respond the same way. And in fact, this this last uh, Sunday, I think I talked about this. I use essentially, I have many more Bibles than that because I like to collect Bibles, but I use the complete Jewish Bible. Uh, David Stern uh, was behind that. That's pretty much my go-to, my favorite. And then I use the English Study uh, Bible, the ESV. Um, I use that uh, in my scholarly work, anything I'm writing for a doctoral level uh, or any anything like that. I'll, I'll tend to quote that or at least give a translation of that. And the NASB, the New American Standard, uh, the 95 uh, edition. I really like those. I think those are the most trustworthy. Uh, I think this Bible, the complete Jewish Bible, is – I don't want to say it's the most trustworthy – it's very readable. It's like reading a book. You remember the original Bible? All of you here know this. Anybody here in the audience, anybody's listened to me before uh, on the radio, you know that this this never had punctuation. Scripture never had punctuation. It never had capitalization. It was all left, you know, it was all right to left, and it was all voop, all together. And so, uh, you know, that's the way Hebrew is. And so my point in all that is this book also was meant to be, the different parts of the book were meant to be read aloud. Why is that? Anybody here know why it was designed to be read aloud? Exactly. What's your... Right. 
people didn't tote their Bibles. They were all in scrolls and targums and all this stuff, and that was tough to tote around. I'm just saying. Plus, dashboards back then in cars were too small to fit all of that on there, so they just couldn't do that. So they couldn't read. Steve, uh, uh, our wonderful violinist, uh, said that m- many people couldn't read. And then the other reason was, is is that, what was your your answer again? No printing presses. So so we come to why a lot of death happened when the printing press happened and they wanted to print the Bible for regular folk. Because regular folk now were able to read it. Their literacy, literacy rate was much higher. And why did the powers that be, the government, want people to have the Bible? Couldn't pull the wool over their eyes anymore. They couldn't tell them, yeah, this is what it says. The Roman Catholic Church, no ding against Catholics. There's a bunch of Catholics in the room. Love y'all. Uh, and, uh, but the Roman Catholic Church was really a big part of that in squashing the expansion of the printed Bible. But suffice it to say, it really wasn't meant to be read as a contiguous book because when it was written, when when 1 Corinthians was written, guess what? He wasn't writing, Shaul or Paul, the Apostle Paul, wasn't writing 1 Corinthians and then go, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a 2 Corinthians. I'm naming this 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the first epistle of the Corinthians, but I'm going to write another one, and that's going to be 2 Corinthians. There was none of that. There was just the greetings. It's afterwards that we called them those things. It's afterwards that we named Matthew or Matthew or Yohanan or John. You know, uh, you know that that was that came after. That was a big long thing afterwards. So my point in all that is, you might think, man, you're beating a dead horse here. My point in all that is, is it, it's very, very important to remember that the context of Scripture, the context, knowing the cultural context of Scripture, the cultural context of how and why it was being written. Who are they talking to? The author. Isn't it important to know who the actual author of the book is? I think. I think it's very important. And I think it would be cool to know as much as you can about that author. Like, for instance, Tom Clancy. Who knew that he rode BMW motorcycles and that he was a gearhead? Who knew that the CIA followed him? Did you know the CIA followed Tom Clancy? They tapped his phones. Uh, they had listening devices in his homes. Uh, they followed him everywhere he went. Did you guys know that? Probably. But the reason they did this with Tom Clancy is because Tom Clancy somehow knew stuff that nobody else but the Central Intelligence Agency and other agencies, non-governmental agencies, knew. And somehow he knew about it, and he wrote about it, and he was so accurate that they said, how is this guy getting this information? Well, let's, you know, a cool fact about Tom Clancy that I know because I lived is he rides BMW motorcycles. You might say, well, why is that important? I also have a fact about Tom Clancy, God rest his soul. He likes sausage gravy over everything on his plate. So I started putting sausage gravy on all kinds of stuff on my plate back when I ate it, just saying. Uh, So it's cool to know things about the author because why did the author write things the way his daughter Lily just got back from a trip abroad? 
uh, for school where she went to theater after theater after theater in London and even Shakespearean theaters, uh, all these different things. And what they had to learn was learn about who wrote this play, uh, learn about the sonnets of William Shakespeare. What was he like? What was he thinking? What place in his life was he? Where did he write this from? Don't you think that's important? Don't you think you can learn more? But even more than that, if you know that this is a compilation of books, then you should have the curiosity to say, where was he when he was writing this, and who are these people he was writing to? Because he didn't write this book going, you know, one day this is going to be the Bible, and it's going to be printed in in virtually every language there is, and we're going to deliver this scripture in all kinds of different shapes and sizes all across the world. We're going to translate it in you know, 137 languages, and, and it's going to be all over the world, and people are going to die delivering Bibles to people, indigenous people in the jungle. He didn't know that. That was, that was nowhere in his mind. He knew his mission was this area, this one place. And that's where he was going. He would go as far and as wide or as long as God led him and the circumstances led him. And so that's why he did what he did. That's fascinating to me. I think, you know, they always talked about the thorn in the side of Paul or Shaul. I'm curious to know, what is that? What was he struggling with? Why did it never get healed? I had people all the time, you know, um, and nothing against, you know, I don't think this guy's a pulpit pimp at all. Uh, I use that term in my book lovingly, of course. Excellence killed the church. How mediocrity is destroying America. You can get it on Amazon and all those places. Uh, but fearless book promotion, right? Fearless. I'm crazy over the top promoting my book. Anyhow, um, much to the chagrin of my family. So uh, anyway... Um, well, let me just say this. Let me skip to this because it looks like we're we're cutting through. I want to get into reading the scripture. The more you know about the author, the more you know about the audience, the more you know about the, the language, the predominant language of the author, the more you know about the predominant language of the audience or languages of the audience. Now, if the author, which we know Paul or Shaul did, spoke multiple languages, why is it important to know his native tongue? Boom! Miss Charlotte hit it right in the park right off the top. She wins a gold star if I had one to give it to her. By the way, Miss Charlotte made me a ninja hat, and uh, there's a picture on God and Country of me in my ninja hat, and I do look cool. Uh, and it's a nice hat. It's actually kind of camo-ish, isn't it? She knitted me that cool hat. I love it. I love it. And it's warm, too. Uh, anyway... Um, say it again, Miss Charlotte. What was the answer? The way you think. It's the way you think. There's a native tongue bias. I don't care how uh, how intelligent you are. I don't care how many languages you speak. You're going to think based on your native tongue. And if Hebrew is your native tongue and Jewish tradition and culture is your native culture, even though you're sensitive to other cultures and you're sensitive and, and adept at speaking in other languages, the fact is you're going to think in your home language. You're going to think in your home language. I was pretty good in Hebrew and, and some in Greek before my crash. 
one of the parts of my brain injury is is I lost my non-native tongue or my learned language. It's just a part of my brain that was damaged. Uh, and it makes me really sad because I knew a lot of the words and I could read parts of it in Hebrew and I loved it. I loved how it sounded. Uh, but that that is what it is. God gives and he takes away and that's that. You know, There's no more to the story. Anyway, I started to tell you about uh, a pulpit uh, a guy from the pulpit talking about, there's a lot of them nowadays, it's real popular, talking about favor. And I see a lot of people talking about favor. Their whole life is lived based on finding the favor and the blessing of God and finding the 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 thing, getting the answer to your prayers. Wants you need to, God wants to give you that. He wants you to be happy. And uh, God does want us to be happy, but what does he want first? He wants us to worship him, and he wants us to serve him. Another word for worshiping and serving him is to obey him. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. See, now my record company is going to be mad at me because I just sang for free. Copyrights and whatnot. Anyway, uh, so, you know, that's important. That's an important thing to know what's going on in the society today. People read in Western Evangelical Church, they read the Bible trying to find the blessing or the answer or the solution or the happiness or the feeling. I had a talk this week about someone I dearly, dearly love saying, I just don't feel God in my life anymore. I don't feel it anymore. How many in the room, being honest, have ever been in a place where you felt that? You felt God was absent from you. You just didn't feel the presence of God. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. I pray for the other liars in the room. Anyway, <laughs> I know. I saw you. I saw you. I saw you. It was like a, uh, like a high-end auction where you just kind of blink and wink. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it's true. All of us at some point or another have cried out to God silently or aloud, I need to feel your presence. I need to experience you. Uh, one of the people the people in the radio audience don't know this, but where we're broadcasting from, it's 51 degrees. We also just had a massive snowstorm for us, for Delaware. We had a massive snowstorm. And the snow is melting, and there's beautiful warm sun shining through the window. One of the ways that I feel the presence of God most, the place where I can go, is if I'm sitting outside, even if it's chilly out, but there's rays of sun. I'm like the dog or the cat trying to find the rays of the sun. That speaks to me. That speaks to me. Another uh, place where I really feel the presence of God is at the ocean. Now, I'm not a beach guy. Anybody that knows me knows I'm not a beach guy. However, I grew up at the beach. But I'm not a lay out in the sun and, and get a tan and all that stuff. I'm, I'm not that guy. Now, you want to do some sport on the beach or, you know, fish or whatever, uh, that's fun too, or walk or whatever. But just to lay there for hours and hours, that's just not my thing. It's some people's thing, and I don't knock it for that. But the bottom line is I love watching the ocean. I love hearing the ocean. If I ever have the opportunity to stay somewhere, if I'm speaking somewhere, and they say, do you have a preference as to the room? If they book me to speak, sometimes they'll ask me, do you have a preference to room? And if they're near the ocean, I'll say, if it doesn't put you out, if you could please put me in an oceanfront room. Why? 
because I like to fling the window open at nighttime, even if it's freezing cold out, and I like to go to sleep hearing the waves, hearing the waves, hearing the waves. And to me, that's constants. But let's talk about context. You know, when we talk about First and Second Corinthians, the difference. Let's talk about constants. You know, in in uh, Indonesia and the folks in Japan. You remember when the uh, the uh, tsunami hit? Do you have you ever seen the videos on television of people just seemingly driving mindlessly? They're just driving. They're driving places. And if they looked to the left, they would have seen a 500-foot wall of water coming at them. Literally washed out overpasses that were 40 feet in the air. Knocked over buildings that were 8 and 10 stories. Went miles inland and killed tens of thousands of people. How many of you remember the... uh, what was it, Kuala Lumpur? No, it wasn't. Uh, what was it uh, over in, where was it, the other huge one? And there's video from hotels of people laying at the hotel pool, which borders up to the to the ocean, and all of a sudden, water just comes, and it takes them away. And there's video of this. Tens of thousands of people were listening to the waves, loving life. It was a beautiful day. It wasn't pouring and storming and any of that stuff. They had no idea. You know, a tsunami, a tidal wave, moves at up to 500-plus miles per hour. But it's so huge, you don't even really notice it. There were huge ships that were found miles inland. Miles inland. There were human bodies by the hundreds found. There's bodies even being found today, what's left of them. Today, and this was years ago. Context. I go to the ocean, and I have this sense of peace and wonder. They did too. All those people standing there. There's, there's video. This, this literally blows my mind, but there is video of people on a rock outcropping taking photographs of the waves that would take their life. Oddly enough, the cameras were found, I think a year and a half later, of the photographs, and you could see through the viewfinder what they were seeing, and yet they didn't panic. You could see in the video, back and forth, they're laughing and going, oh, look at that, and then they're dead, they're gone, they're swept away. They're swept away. I'm going to give you another personal experience, and then we will um, we'll go on a couple more questions that we'll, we'll answer over the course of the series, uh, and then I'll read as much as I can with the time we have left, because you guys have wasted so much time. Uh, a personal experience for me is I went to Hawaii several years ago, and uh, there's a sort of a channel at Hanalei Bay that uh, back then I was in much better shape and you know, it's a, a physical specimen, and, and I was also the guy that said, oh, you don't think I can do it? Okay. And I would find a way to do it. And I did it. I stood there with two really elite athletes, way more elite athletes than me, young, you know, a bunch of years younger than me, decades younger than me. And I said, hey, what about we swim across there? We're standing on a rock outcropping 
Come around the corner. Let's swim across there to the beach because that's where everybody else is. Let's swim there. Let's go from here to there. Let's not get in the car and go. Let's just swim. Stupid? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I did it. We all three did it. But guess what we learned? We learned that within three days of us doing that, two people lost their lives at that same exact spot. One, uh, well, and then another one lost his leg. A surfer had his leg bitten off by a shark. Because apparently that's shark-infested water that I just swam through. Note to self. Uh, So, yeah, I didn't see any sharks when I was swimming. Uh, But, uh, yeah, yeah. You you don't have to be able to outswim the sharks. You just have to be able to outswim your buddy. So, uh, so, uh, anyhow, uh, so I was proud of that accomplishment. And then I find out that later a guy gets his leg bit off. Another guy dies. And then a 63-year-old man who was vacationing on the very rock I was standing. Remember what I said about I feel the presence of God when the rays of the sun just hit my face through a window or I'm sitting somewhere and the sun just moves just right and it just hits me and it warms me and I just feel the presence of God for whatever reason. Different things are triggers for different people. That's what this guy was doing. He was 63 years old. He was laying on the rock and he fell asleep. And the witnesses, there were many witnesses, said a wave came out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, hit where he was, and he was gone, and he was never seen again. I wonder what he was thinking. Context. I wonder what those photographers, those 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 maybe they were tourists that the video of of at, at the, the in Japan the the video of them taking pictures of the wall of water coming at them. I wonder what was going through their mind. Context. We're going to find all that out when we when we go through 2 Corinthians. And understanding 2 Corinthians will help us to better understand 1 Corinthians. So we're going to create, uh, we're going to talk about the primary purpose of the writing of the 2 Corinthian letter. We're going to create a simple summary of both letters. We'll provide the following. Date of the writing of the letter, the real date, pretty much. The place from which Paul wrote the letter. Isn't it important to know where somebody is? If, if their communication device is letters and their hand writing it, wouldn't it be interesting to know where they're writing? Because, you know, Paul wrote a lot of his stuff from where? Prison. From exile. And you read these letters and you think, why am I whining about my struggle in life, the harshness of my life? Why am I struggling? Why am I, why am I whining? This guy was writing this from prison. And you know what they prison? They torture you. They beat you. They feed you worm-infested gruel, if they feed you at all. And yet he wrote, wrote that letter. It's important to know context. We're going to cover the main points of the letter, so you better understand. You will better understand. I know this group is so smart, you guys probably already know, but for the radio audience, no offense, radio audience, but you're not really that smart yet because you haven't been here, so... If you come here, you'd be a lot smarter. It's instantaneous. It just happens when you walk through the door and eat our food. So uh, anyway, but you'll understand. The folks that don't understand, maybe you're new to the Bible. I have a lot of people that listen to my messages, and they say, you know what? I was just switching through 
uh, I typed in that or I was in a struggle in my life. I typed in religion or spirituality or weird dudes who say crazy things. And boom, up I, I pop and they listen. They become listeners. Go figure. So for those people, you know, and for seminarians and people with doctorate degrees and people who have been reading the Bible all their lives, sometimes you find that little nugget you never knew. Isn't that a wonderful discovery to find that nugget of wisdom, something you learned? I've had that happen countless times. One of the things that I have, I do a whole sermon on it, is talking about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. And when I do that sermon again, you'll be blown away by the truth of what happened and why and some of the huge myths and misconceptions. But anyway, so we're going to do that. What does First uh, and Second Corinthians teach the average Christian and Messianic Jew today? You think that's important? I think that's important. But guess what? It wasn't written for us. That makes it makes pastors the the Western evangelical pastors they hate me for saying that. I say it in my book. I say it on my radio show. They hate me for that. It wasn't written for us. We weren't anywhere in, in the writers of the Bible's mind when they wrote what they wrote. They were writing to their audience who was right there. They weren't saying, one day this will be compiled into a big book. It will be translated in all these languages. It will be put in all these people's hands, and then we can answer all these people's questions. People say, I read the Bible. It didn't work for me. I had a guy contact me this week. He, 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 is, he is in a massive struggle of faith. Massive struggle of faith. He's been a person of the last 20 years. He served in uh, staff positions in churches. And he said, Sean, I just got to tell you, it's just not working for me. All my friends who don't believe in God, you don't have a faith at all, they don't stress over anything. They live how they want to live. They do what they want to do. And you know what else? They're happy. I look around the world and I see all this stuff going on with ISIS burning people by the hundreds cutting people's heads off, stoning women, throwing people off of roofs. Nobody seems to care, Sean, especially God. If God really cared, why would he do this? He said, I, I, I know of two kids right now they are under age of seven. They both have leukemia. They're going to die. Their little tiny lives have been nothing but suffering their whole life. If God is real... Why doesn't he care about them? Why doesn't it matter to God about them? When the people that wrote this amazing library of 66 books, they didn't know that it would be compiled into this. But it was. You know who knew? Adonai Elohim. He knew. He knew that one day we would need something in our hands to help guide us. But we have to read it. People say, reading the Bible didn't work for me. Praying didn't work for me. We have to know the right way to read the Bible. We have to be mindful of context. Cultural, language, the time, the place, the language, context. We've got to know all those things. If we don't know all these things, little things, I say this all the time, little things don't mean a lot. They mean Everything. And this is one of those things. The subtle differences between 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians is very, 
Very important to know. But I get asked for relevancy purposes. That's great. You know all this historical stuff and all this context stuff. But what about for us today, the relevance? How is this relevant to me? We're going to answer that. We're going to say, what? we're going to answer the question, what does First and Second Corinthians teach the average Christian today? And I'm going to select two things from each letter that I believe are essential for the average Christian to know and understand. And I'm going to present that to you, and that's going to be one whole sermon. That one thing, two things, I believe are essential for uh, the average Christian to know and understand. Be one whole sermon, just that. Hard to believe. Hard to believe, I know. So who's ready? Who's ready for this? Who, who's excited for this? What, what you know? It's, is it anything that's on your radar? You say, man, I can't wait to learn this. I can't wait to experience this again. You know, um, the people in, in Belgium are sending me a message now. Um, they don't. It started, okay, they're typing now. I'm sorry, I'm reading you as you're typing. Um, they are. They were originally a book group, and they most of them are atheists or atheists. But through the book group, they read different religious books, and then eventually they got a hold of my book. Huh. And so now they study the Word, they study my book, and they listen to the show. How cool is that? And I turned them on to Ravi Zacharias, and they're they're very excited about that. He is the man. He's the man. I'm a dude, but he's the man. So um, what I'm going to do now is I start reading. We only have because you guys have wasted so much time. Um, I'm going to read a little bit, and then we'll we will close. But first, I want to pray. Father, we thank you so much for joining us this evening. Good evening, Father. Good evening to you. Thank you for providing us this evening. And we just pray for our, our friends that are sick and struggling, uh, for the ones that are fighting all kinds of different diseases. I just I just pray for them. Uh, I, I pray that you fill their hearts right now supernaturally, no matter where they are in this state or Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, wherever, or all over the world, that, that they feel your supernatural love and feel our love through you. Love made perfect through you for them. And I pray that you would touch and heal their bodies. For the ones here that are struggling with cancer and other diseases, uh, that they would feel your supernatural power right now. I thank you that you are a God of power and wonder and you're a God of, of solutions, but also you're, you're, you're the God, the awesome God, who allows us to struggle and learn more and rely more upon you. I thank you for writing in big chalk on the sidewalk for me to understand what you mean for me to understand. And I thank you that you'll continue doing that. Thank you for this group. I pray that you bless them and all the people listening around the country. From Shaul, by God's will, an emissary of the Messiah Yeshua. In other words, Christ Jesus. Remember, Yeshua Hamashiach is Jesus the Messiah. Uh, Messiah Yeshua is Christ Jesus. Sometimes they say it that way. And Brother Timothy. So now we know something different. Who was with Shaul? Who was with Paul? Oh, wait. I was supposed to just read through this, wasn't I? Y'all got me already. 
Anyway, Timothy was with him, so now we know this. Two, we said from Shaul, by God's will, an emissary of the Messiah Yeshua and brother Timothy, to God's messianic community in Corinth, along with all God's people throughout Achaia. Grace to you and shalom from God, our Father and Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. Praised be God, Father of our Lord Yeshua and the Messiah, the compassionate Father, God of all encouragement and comfort, who encourages us in all our trials so that we can encourage others in whatever trial they may be undergoing with the encouragement that we ourselves have received from God. Glory to God. For just as the Messiah's sufferings overflow into us, I'll have a lot to say about that next week. Just as the Messiah's sufferings overflow into us, so through the Messiah our encouragement also overflows. So if we undergo trials, it is for your encouragement and deliverance. And if we are encouraged, that should encourage you when you have to endure sufferings like those we are experiencing. And he wasn't talking about paper cuts. He wasn't talking about cutting back to a 2,000-calorie diet. The sufferings were far more serious than that. Moreover, our hope for you remains staunch because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the encouragement. Have you ever met somebody that all they want to do is heap their sufferings on you? That's all they want to do. How are you doing? Whoa. Uh, I was just kidding, man. I just said how you're doing because I couldn't think of what else to say to please just keep moving. You know, I don't know what the word is for that. But have you ever met somebody that you know is suffering? And you say, how are you doing? Oh, man, has the Lord ever been good to me? Praise God. We've got 90 seconds left. You guys have wasted so much time. I can't believe. I have to talk to this group as soon as we get off the radio. Praise in public. Chastise in private. No, I'm just kidding. I babble on. But the fact is, is that um, do you want to be that person that when you see him walking across the room, you think, oh, how can I be invisible? Where's that invisible button? Because you don't want to bump into that person. You don't want that person to come up to you. Or do you want to be the encourager? Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight. <laughs>